IFG people. Hello and welcome to Blockchain Insider. I'm Mauricio Magaldi, Global Strategy Director for Crypto at 11FS. This is episode 183, and I'm joining by my amazing co-host, Kai Sheffield, head of Crypto at Visa. Hello, Kai. How are you doing today? I am great. Quite an eventful time and, and weekend for anyone who follows finance and banking and stablecoins and crypto. So, you know, always plenty of things to talk about. Excited for the, the show today. Awesome. Never a dull moment in our industry. So in the past two years, we have covered an immense range of topics and news stories ranging from DAOs to NFTs to Web3 advancements and all the exciting news about them, all the way down to regulation, stablecoins, and pretty much anything you can think of. At this point, we want to start drilling a little bit deeper into specific regions and their own innovations and developments in the crypto sector. However, before we can do that, we need to zoom out once more and lay some foundations. In today's Insights episode, we're taking a look at the global state of crypto to explore how the past couple of years have shaped the sector into what it is today, what developments are currently fostering adoption, and as always, what we hope to see in the near future. To do that, we're joined by some fantastic guests. So welcome Jess Hograve, Crypto Go-To-Market and Strategy at Checkout.com. Great to see you today. Jess, how are you doing? Thank you. Um, I'm great, thank you. As you say, uh, a wild weekend, uh, mostly glued to Twitter to keep up with everything that's that's going on. Uh, but it's a real pleasure to, to be here today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Twitter and a hard monitor for everyone. Uh, and we also welcome James Smith, founder and board director at Elliptic. Welcome to the show, James. How are you doing today? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Um, we, uh, SVB is, uh, was one of our banks. So for me, it was more than just Twitter. I've been glued to the finance team and, and lots of great people across the company as we made sure that we're well prepped for today. But uh, yeah, I think as the crypto prices are showing, there's, uh, everyone's breathing a sigh of relief today. So that harp on her did came in handy. Awesome. So before we dive in, just as a reminder, listeners, the views or opinions of our panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of the companies that they're representing. And as always, nothing we say should be taken as tax, financial, or legal advice. So do your own research. So let's get started. We're going to start off Zoom all the way out and talk about where we are right now and how we got here. So I'm going to start with you, Jess, uh, on a global scale. In your perspective, what is the current state of the crypto landscape like right now in the world? So I think what's so interesting for me at the moment is how different geographies and different regions of the world right now are thinking about crypto. In the UK, obviously, we have this like real stance around making the UK a kind of crypto-friendly jurisdiction that's come from like the very highest levels. And we're starting to see that trickle down into how regulation is made. In Mika, in the EU, we're seeing a lot more certainty that's giving people a lot more confidence. In Asia, again, like very, very different. Seeing the Hong Kong regulators change their views uh, around crypto over recent times has been a real like 180. And, and then in the US, we have this like very different dynamic again, which is a real like battle between TradFi or certainly what feels like a battle between TradFi and regulators and and the crypto industry. So just I think the, the variation there is 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 really interesting. What for me though like continues to be what has brought me to crypto and what why I, I like 
am consistent in my views about it have been for the last like four or five, six, eight years now, however long I've got more gray hair. But um, what is, is been like really consistent is this like continued focus on the technology. And I think that that is something that no matter the real price volatility or the like regulatory concerns that we have, year over year, we have better focus on what the technology can do, what real use cases are. Um, and that is what continues to make me really excited. What's your take on this, James, uh, like at the high level global view at this stage? Yeah, I think I'll share uh, a lot of Jess's views. Uh, you know, if I described it in one word, I'd say it's uneven. Um, and, I, and I think that comes down a lot to how different jurisdictions are, are treating it, right? Like, as I uh, just said, say with Mika in Hong Kong, like they're taking an approach of if you put good regulation in place, um, then then you set it up for success. And I think um, already we're seeing a lot of companies start to think about those two uh, jurisdictions as being good long-term homes because they know what the playing field is going to be, uh, what the rules are going to be. Um, and then, yeah, the, the US is taking a different approach, which is to not put clear regulation in place and, it, and instead lead through enforcement. And there's plenty of enforcement going on in the US, but that's, uh, that's kind of a, a scarier way to set the rules or, or at least a, a scarier environment to play in if you're trying to figure out what the rules are. I think the US has always been a leader in crypto because of the amount of, invest, amount of investment that's there. Um, but uh, a lot of companies are trying to decide whether that's a good long-term home to them when it's still not clear uh, how they're going to be able to to play in the space. Yeah, Kai, what's your? You have a vantage point, right? You're you're everywhere in the world, and you're you've been a, a champion for this blend of TradFi and crypto for the longest time. So, what's your perspective on that end? So, I think my starting point is that today. We've only really seen one use case or application of crypto that has effectively reached mainstream consumers. And let's say 100 million mainstream consumers. And that is trading crypto. It's, it's an asset class that people want to invest in and that is trading. And that is a very cyclical use case where the interest in that is very different in a risk-on environment with low interest rates versus a risk-off environment uh, and so it's not surprising that you know, interest in that has has won. Then under the under the hood or behind the scenes, there's all this really interesting technology that is starting to experiment and really make a lot of progress towards a number of real use cases. One being you know, on-chain payments, you know, using stable coins. You know, another being uh, decentralized you know, financial services and you know, lending and borrowing another being NFTs and gaming. And so you have like another four or five different areas with massive potential and a ton of technical innovation happening, but most people have never seen and aren't seeing it because it hasn't broken through yet. Uh, and so I think the question is like, when does that happen? And to me, it's kind of a when and, and not an if. It's like when, where, and how. Uh, and so, you know, we know crypto trading is, it's going to be a use case as long as crypto exists, as long as people want to speculate and like that will come and go based upon the macro environment, which may be changing again. We'll see. But when will the other use cases arrive? Uh, and I think there's so much progress being made that it doesn't feel like we're five years away or 10 years away. You know, we might not be six months away, uh, 
Um, but that's what I'm, I'm excited about. And I think that the use cases could be different based upon the market and they'll arrive and show up and gain traction and adoption in different ways and in different markets. So, so that's what will be interesting to see. Well, I, I think there, there's a, a lot of space for better regulation. We can even touch upon this when we, you know, talk about going forward, but I, I would uh, kind of, you know, grab that as a segue to my next question in terms of use cases, right? I think the materialization of blockchain or crypto or NFTs or whatever the, the, the technical primitive we're talking about in Web3, um, it, it only gets tangible when we go and say, oh, this is, this is working. This is solving something that is relevant or this is providing a new business model for someone. So I'm going to go back to you, uh, Kai, first. What is your one favorite use case right now? I mean, let's leave the future for, for, for the next round, but what is your current favorite use case and why? I think from a, a global perspective, the ability to access dollars and transfer dollars as either a consumer or a business in an emerging market is the single biggest, most interesting use case you know, for crypto uh, in the form of, of stable coins. Uh, and I think that's where like, if you talk to someone in Nigeria versus you talk to someone in the United States, like you know, people in the United States, like as they're learning this weekend, we have a banking system with FDIC insurance. Like that's, that's awesome. Like that, that, that makes you sleep well at night. Like knowing that you can have access to dollars, a currency that is not, you know, inflating relative to you know, other currencies across the world, uh, to a, an extreme degree and that your dollars are protected in a bank that, you know, you believe you could trust, you know, relatively more than other people in other countries might believe like that's a really good situation. You don't really need stable coins. But I think there are hundreds of millions of consumers in other markets who might not have that same situation where stable coins, you know, start to, to make a lot of sense. Nice. Yeah. And I think like, you, you, you talked about the main use case being trading, but I think that is, um, that's certainly true from a Western perspective, right? And I think that that varies by sort of geo, right? You do see more use of crypto, whether it's stable coins or even like straight crypto in emerging markets for, as a means for remitting money or for paying, even for paying for things, right? And we've got checkout.com here, right? Uh, stable coins um, are a good payment rails um, and, and people are using that even in Western markets. So I, I, I think like what the use cases are does vary a bit, like what the leading use cases are does vary a bit by GA, um, which is, is pretty interesting. And I think this, um, like this weekend is, made the concepts of stable coins uh, interesting again, right? Because uh, the most stable of stable coins, uh, USDC dropped from a dollar to 90 cents or even 87 cents, I think, at one point this weekend. Um, and uh, it, it makes you want to actually have a stable coin that stays stable. Um, and yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see which of the many routes that people are looking at plays out here. It's, it's, people are trying the algo stable coins, but we've also seen what happened to Luna, um, uh, back in the day, but I mean, what the way things were going this weekend, it kind of made me think like, I wish there was a fed coin, right? Like a, a state backed stable coin where you don't have to like worry about the you know, bank going bust and, and so on. Like it's actually tied st straight back to the source. And so I think the, the concept of CDBCs was put back into the, uh, the limelight a little bit this weekend with the, um, the issues that USDC had. Yeah. Jess, any, any comments on favorite use case? 
Yeah, like, I mean, I, I certainly have a big bias towards payments, um, uh, specifically those around kind of emerging markets, as, as Kai said, you know, like, access to the dollar um, in emerging markets is just such a we've, we've already seen that as, as as a kind of key area of adoption. And I think we're likely to continue to see that. Um, if I have to just like add another one, and I can't just jump on on the payments bandwagon, then I think it, we're a little further out. But I'm still like really interested in I, the concept of identity and uh, and blockchain. I, I think that, um, you know, as we continue to see uh, our institutions come under pressure, even in some of our most developed economies around the world, but especially for those where, um, you know, institutions are over the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years going to come under increasing pressure from climate change, from forced migration, from all of these things. The concept of identity is is going to be really interesting to all of us as, as individuals and how we create, maintain our identity, how we think about our data. And I think that crypto has a role to play there. I think it's 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 a lot further away than, you know, affecting cross-border payments. But, um, you know, it's it's another area that I'm uh, I, I'm interested in, too. That's super cool. Yeah. My, my favorite, it's not even a use case, it's just on-chain analytics. I'm not, I'm not trying to prop up you, James, or anything, but I'm a data guy through and through. And uh, yeah, the, uh, we'll, we'll go back to this when you talk about the future of this. But yeah, absolute my favorite right now uh, is a, almost like a byproduct. All right. So let me hand it over to Kai so it can actually explore the fostering adoption. Yeah. I think if we just dive a little deeper, I'd love to, to get perspectives on like what specific uh, markets, and in particularly emerging markets, are you seeing you know, interesting activity you know, happening in? So maybe, maybe starting with, with you, Jess, as, as you look at you know, the overall you know, business at, at Checkout.com, like, are you seeing crypto you know, perceived differently in these emerging markets? And how are they using it? And how close are we to this being something that a mainstream consumer would use or a mainstream business would use? Or is it just it's the crypto people in these emerging markets that are using the technologies, but it's it's yet to go in mainstream. Yeah, so at checkout, you know, our primary business is is supporting enterprise businesses to give access to um, to, to payment rails for their customers, right? Providing their, their end consumers with choice around payments. And no matter where you are in the world, what you see is that consumers just like choice. They like to be able to pay with the method that they want to be able to pay with. Um, and we see huge variation in why. And we see people choosing different payment methods depending on the goods and services that they're buying. You know, they may choose to use a credit card for a specific reason because it gives them different consumer protections versus using cash to buy coffee around the corner. So when I think about like how crypto plays into that from a payment method perspective, it's another thing that is going to sit alongside a whole range of existing payment options today. Certainly, I think where we are today is that we're in kind of two buckets for why people want to pay with crypto. One is that you know, they have made crypto, you know, they've made wealth in crypto and they want to be able to spend it. And that's why we see a lot of like luxury goods companies offering crypto as a payment method that they were some of the first companies out there to do so. Um, and there's a, there's a natural kind of product market fit there, right? Someone's made some lots of money in Bitcoin, they want to spend it. Luxury goods company has expensive items that they want to sell. 
And I think that will persist and brands and, and merchants and, and companies will will continue to use this like crypto adoption as a sort of PR mechanism and to attract new customers. And where I think it becomes much more interesting is like where we can actually gain like real efficiency because the payment methods that we have today aren't effective, they're too expensive, they're too time consuming, the end merchant doesn't receive those funds for 30 days. There's all sorts of like real pain points there. But the user experience around crypto as a payment mechanism is still really clunky. We see like incremental improvement on it, but it's still like it's really painful for the average user to be able to pay for goods and services with with crypto. And so what I think about is like mainstream adoption, when we're going to see big adoption for crypto as a payment mechanism, is when people either don't even know that they're using crypto as a payment rail because the like in and out is so seamless and it's just a better offering than what they have today, or when we get to the stage where um, the user experience, the consumer protections, the ability to make recurring payments, the ability to do chargebacks, the ability to do um, pull payments as well as push payments. You know, all of these things need to need to fall into place for us to start seeing this like mainstream adoption of of crypto as a payment mechanism. And I think that like in some ways in emerging markets, they have this, um, the beauty of being the second mover, they have this sort of slightly blank slate versus some developed economies where the difference that crypto payments can provide some some developed economies versus a faster payment system, for example, is like it's very incremental. Whereas the, the benefits that crypto can provide over what some of the existing payment systems are in, in emerging markets is actually, it's huge. It's like, it's like, several cents per dollar of transaction of efficiency with peer-to-peer payments, with B2C payments. And so I, I think that that's actually where we're likely to see very fast adoption. And then James, what are you seeing you know, in the, the on-chain data? You know, are you seeing different protocols being adopted in different markets? And it seems like today consumers do have this like brand affinity where can, every consumer that's using crypto for payments knows that they're using crypto for payments and what blockchain and protocol, because they have to, because that's how the products work. Uh, it's, are you seeing that show up where protocols are getting kind of mainstream? I use this blockchain for payments or what I want. And then do you agree that in the future, consumers, particularly to go mainstream, they won't have brand affinity with the underlying protocol powering their payments. They'll just have a wallet or an app and they won't have to know whether it's you know, Ethereum or Solana or Polygon you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, I think brand affinity is not going to go away, right? Like that's like the, the world lives off trust in brands. And, and I think that's driving a lot of uh, what we're seeing at the moment. Today, yeah, you're, you're spot on, right? Like there is like brand affinity to particular chains or protocols and and often it's um ge- like geography specific and uh like you know lots of the protocols have some like hero that everyone like flocks around um you know, bitcoin has a uh, has one that no one knows who it is but a lot of the others have a, a visible uh hero right and while in yeah, Europe and the US, Bitcoin and Ethereum tend to be the yeah, the, the biggest ones. Uh, you'll see huge use of 
uh, things like like you know, Binance Smart Chain in in certain regions or Tron um, that like, you just don't see the same levels of usage in in Europe and the US. But like in APAC or in LATAM, those uh, those two have like hugely different profiles, and you know their leaders have cult followings uh, on on Twitter and so on. Um, so I think this, the brand affinity is really interesting, but yeah, I think uh, as a, uh, as we reach adoption, however you want to define that, uh, yeah, I completely agree with, uh, what Jess is saying that you would expect that you expect the, the, the blockchain to fade into the background, right? Like we don't think about the internet or the networks that we use when we're we, like you know, using the internet right now and you know, many times throughout the day. It, it's when it's faded into the fabric of life that it's been adopted. And I think, um, yeah, the, the brand affinity that there is around Tron or Ethereum or whatever uh, might go away, but other brands will become, you know, important and that'll be the, the businesses or the services that are built on top of those things um, in the way that, yeah, Facebook or whatever has been built on top of the internet. And it seems like, at least with reference to Tron and Binance Smart Chain, that you know, some of the markets where they've gained adoption, you know, there's just been very high demand and need for lower fees uh, for the use cases. If people are transacting in smaller amounts on chain, you know, it's just hard for them to afford to pay, you know, ETH gas fees. Uh, Mauricio, now that like we're seeing this explosion of protocols and layer twos and alternative layer ones and like, you know, many different approaches, uh, you know, to scaling blockchains and, and enabling low fee payments uh, that could still settle to Ethereum and benefit from the security. Do you see a potential of, you know, some of the, the new layer twos kind of taking some of the market share, you know, from, you know, the early layer ones? Do you think that there will be a regional breakdown of, you know, blockchains that just, they get adoption early in a certain market and, you know, consumers don't leave them or you know, in five years, will we look and it'll be a handful of global winners without that many differences between one region or another, you know, because they'll all be fast and cheap uh, and they'll have a network effect instead of being regionally focused. I think there's there's a few data points for us to kind of draw potential conclusions or, or, or investigate this, this kind of uh, forecast. One is uh, if cheaper gas fees or transaction fees means is also cheaper to develop and to build. That means that more people will be attracted to a particular blockchain to build whatever new use case is to, that solves a particular problem. Like we said, not every geo has the same set of problems to be solved. So it's likely that we find uh, a, an affinity between a particular blockchain ecosystem, the builder community in that region and the way that they solve that particular problem. Does that mean that that blockchain will be constrained to that geography? Probably not. Blockchains are going to continue to be public digital goods, global 24 uh, seven. So I think what we will, will see is the type of resolution uh, for the types of problems that are very localized being solved by a particular group of builders that are very specialized in that particular region leveraging whatever is more accessible, be it gas fees, be it the coding language, be it the type of infrastructure they have to put together to make that happen. So I think there we will see sort of those localization specialization when it comes to at least a DAP layer. But if say a single layer two 
is so attractive in terms of cost and ease of development. And they have a great grants program, which is also some form of incentive for builders to actually adopt a particular chain. I think we're going to see that kind of ecosystem flocking towards one of them. Now, what we already see in terms of adoption is two things. One is a large dominance of the EVM as a standard for building. So even non-EVM chains are studying or bringing in EVM compilers so you can actually migrate your code from Ethereum to that other chain and make it work. So that is kind of one. And the second is a little bit more on the business side of things, which is we're seeing tokenization coming up at pace, and especially for banks and enterprises and companies, this is probably going to be their kind of gateway drug into crypto. Because it's not just about the tokenization of the asset, right? Whatever the underlying asset is, that real asset will have to be uh, taken into custody by someone. But once you have that kind of digital twin that is living on chain, there's got to be liquidity for that somehow. Right, so the the chains that have more liquidity will probably attract more of those underlying assets that are now tokenized, and we'll see a little bit more of traction uh, there as well. So, to some extent, I didn't answer your question, but these are going to be probably the data points that I would draw if I had to, you know, be held against a, a you know, the wall and answer your question. Curious how, how you think about that, Jess. Yeah, like I, I think very similarly. Um, I think firstly, like it's all going to be so far abstracted from the end user that what will probably happen, I imagine, is that a company will build something on one chain and a better technology will, will emerge and they'll be able to migrate that with like actually relatively little impact uh, for the end user. So I think that, um, you know, we are certainly in this era of, um, of, multi, you know, we're, we're definitely going to be living in a multi-chain world. I think we, we can all agree on, on that. We're also very likely to be living in an era where there is great interoperability built between the, these worlds, whether that's um, just around like the, the EVM ecosystem or even further afield than that with some of, you know, the, the new layers that are being built. So I think from a kind of technological and user experience perspective, that will be that will be abstracted. I think that when we think about like the blockchains that are out there today, um, like we're only just scratching the surface in terms of some of the needs. And, and we see this with all technology that, that we need to become specialized to solve specific problems. And so to say that there's a single blockchain out there today, certainly that can solve every need for around the world in terms of speed, scalability, cost, uh, privacy, all of these things is is. I just don't think realistic and we have to make these trade-offs between these different things that we value. Um, and so, you know, even at, you know, and some of them will never, never reconcile. Like, do we need a payment system that is incredibly, incredibly private, but that can still disclose information to the relevant authorities, right? Okay. Like, yes, maybe now we need to live in a zero knowledge world. Actually, on the other hand, do we need a payment system where everything is incredibly transparent and we can track every single payment and we want that to be publicly visible? Okay, like we definitely need to not be built in a zero knowledge world. So like we are going to have these payment systems that are going to have very different technological and user experience needs. And I think that that's fine. And then what we will just see is, is interoperability, meaning that these things can talk to each other. And then the user experience being abstracted on top of that so that I as an end consumer 
don't really care what's underneath. I just get a better payments experience than what I've had before. Yeah, I think you. I think this is like um, like so many bits of technology adoption. It's like sometimes things win because they're the best technology, um, and and it might be that you know one of these like whether it's layer one, layer two, whatever is well designed for a particular um, domain use case, whatever, and it gets adoption for that reason. Um, and sometimes they win just because they got the network effect. So, and and with things like that, you may get a bit more of a split between uh, communities, whether that's geographic communities or online communities. So like in, in one domain, like one, te- one technology might win and then in another, a different one wins. And they didn't win because of uh, relative technological benefits. They just won because they got sufficient network effect in that area. Um, and you, yeah, we've got, we all all use LinkedIn, but in China they have a totally different like, social network for that, right? Um, uh, I think mean, that that can happen, and and that will happen here. Uh, I think this uh, this concept of uh, cross chain uh, interoperability is is fascinating at the moment. We're like at the the beginning of that, and it's so broken at the moment. Um, but it's like much better than it was two years ago. Um, but there are these bridges that like, you know hop between different networks and. Uh, I guess that brings me on to one of the the use cases that we didn't mention earlier that is very much a current use case, and that's criminals. Like, crypto has been well used by, for, by criminals for a long time, and, and bridges and interoperability is like one of their favorite places to play right now. You know, our, our business is about trying to understand flows of money on chains, and, and so we're often looking at like how it's flowing across these bridges. Uh, and how it's like out of bridges when they get hacked, and uh, yeah, a lot of the the high profile hacks of these bridges in the in the last uh, year or two have been by uh, nation state uh, actors, like Lazarus Group, taking uh, you know funneling huge amounts of money out, hopping it between chains, and using the fact that there are multiple blockchains and multiple layer twos and so on as a means to obfuscate that source uh, that flow of funds. And so I think as we get to this more interoperable world that we're all describing here, I think it's also going to be really important that um, as part of that interoperability, we've got the the right visibility and, and the, abil- um, the ability to uh, bring criminals to justice and prevent criminals from from taking advantage of, uh, of a system that is going to be somewhat complex. Absolutely. That's, uh, it's all about that, uh, that data that we keep talking about. That's a great way to wrap this uh, part of the show. We're going to take a quick break here and be back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibilities, and Visa is helping everyone take part. Consumers can now enjoy the freedom and flexibility of using their Visa crypto link cards for everyday purchases at millions of Visa-accepting merchant locations around the world. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. Buying a home is the biggest and most significant purchase most people make in their lifetime. And it doesn't matter where in the world you're buying, the process is rarely easy. In our latest report, experts from our 11FS Ventures team look at why the home buying process is broken, how we can fix it, and the massive commercial opportunity it presents for banks and fintechs. Download your free copy at 11fs.com slash homebuying. That's 11fs.com slash homebuying. Welcome back. In the first two parts, we covered the big picture and what is currently fostering adoption. 
it's time to take out our crystal globes and take a look at our favorite part, the future. So let's start with you, Jess. So um, how do you see the role of blockchain technology evolving beyond these things we talked about in terms of cryptocurrency? You mentioned one particular use case you're interested in, which is identity. Do you think that the future of identity management lies into the world of blockchains? Like I think we talked a lot in the in the previous part of the show about data, right? And um, the world is totally reliant in every single form that we that we exist and that we play in and that we work in and that we live in today on on data and the way that data is stored and used, right? So if we fundamentally carve back to what a blockchain is, it's a very cool, like nice database. We can do some really cool things with it. And um, there are also some things that like it's actually not so good at and it's and it's better to have a centralized database um and so you know is the whole of identity going to be built on on decentralized systems probably not right like we all are very reliant on centralized institutions today to form a meaningful part of our identity but that doesn't mean it should be the only part of our, our identity and i think when we think about like what the definition of identity is yes it's my passport it's the fact that i'm recognized as a citizen perhaps of a particular country but it's also where i went to school it's who i've met it's the things i've done it's the things that make me me um and that's where i think like we can layer on these different technologies as a way to create this sense of identity. Um, and you can extend the same to all sorts of different use cases, right? Like the, the other geeky side of me loves the kind of concept of like crypto and gaming and, and how like we can build more interesting games potentially because of this like strategy components of things using blockchain. We know that just like layering in some nfts into into a game like doesn't get most people very excited um and actually like most gameplay is better built on centralized databases but like there are some things that we're going to be able to do with blockchains that we haven't been able to do before and so i think that like we should always contextualize this like is blockchain the answer to this problem as like probably not but only in the same way that like a single like technological solution isn't the answer to most problems today, right? It's a combination of different technologies, but also how we think, think about governance, how we think about user experience, how we think about social components um, that all have to layer together. Um, and I think that's like why, why I certainly feel we're still so early in this journey is that like we're still very focused on like, let's plug crypto into this specific thing. And it's all of these other layers that need to come to actually start bringing some of these things to life. Well, I just wanted to kind of turn us a little bit towards financial services. I mean, Avnafas is a financial consultancy, Visa and Checkout uh, are also um, ellipticus everywhere, <laughs> pretty much. But we talk about this kind of Web 2.5 or Web 2.1.3 point whatever. Um, and there's a, this expression that was coined by the guys at Bankless, the DeFi mullet, right? FinTech in the front, DeFi in the back. Uh, it kind of alludes to the, um, probably the composability of crypto being able to be used by traditional financial firms in various ways. This is one way for us to actually uh, move towards the future in financial services by adopting uh, these technologies. Um, James, what is it that, you're seeing in terms of trends that will make that vision a reality? And do we need to go through all of that to actually go and turn financial services into a crypto-based economy? So I think there's a, 
a few thoughts here that are coming together. Firstly, like De- DeFi I find fascinating, right? DeFi, the composability of it, like the experimentation. But if you look at like, the use of it, it's, it's dropped massively in the last few months, right? Like last summer, you could talk to you know, any financial institution and they're excited about it. And and now like people are, you know, it's tumbleweed. People are just focusing on like core use cases again. But I don't think that is like the end of DeFi. Uh, think about um, you know what we're seeing in terms of new customers coming in and, and the like, the types of customers that are coming in, and it's like big banks like never before, and like, traditional financial institutions like doing things in crypto. Now, maybe not all of those the you know the things that they're going to do are clear uh, externally or even internally sometimes, but I think everybody's accepted that crypto's here and is interesting and is not going away. And and that's finally being right, recognized in our customer base, uh, the types of people that are, that are actually starting to do things. Now, I think that, yeah, it's good maybe to talk about this, with like FCB having happened this weekend. Um, and you will have like, people on one side saying like, uh, this is the thing, this is everything that's wrong with tech. And then people on the other side saying, this is everything that's wrong with the traditional financial system. Um, and I think what that really says to me is that you can't build a new financial system just with a bunch of tech people. Um, and you can't build a new financial system just with a bunch of TradFi people. I, it's it's really like combining these two sets of expertise that is going to bring us something new and interesting and better. Um, I think uh, I, the, the TradFi system has learned lots of lessons. I mean, maybe it hasn't learned some as well, but I, it, it's, it's tried a bunch of things over the last few hundreds and thousands of years. And there is some expertise built up there. Um, and I, I think as technologists, we shouldn't be so arrogant to think that we can figure it all out for ourselves from first principles. And so I'm excited about the fact that there are more like, TradFi players coming in, trying to figure out what's good about crypto, what's what's new and, and what's not new and what they can do better in other ways. Um, and I think that's going to make... Uh, I think that's going to make the industry stronger and more resilient. And it, I think ultimately it's going to result in um, like actually useful products for end users. Love it. Kai, you're smack in the middle of these two industries. How do you see these things evolving? I think it's really interesting that it's it's clear that the impact that crypto can have and blockchains can have is capped if you don't have the participation of traditional financial institutions. Like there's only so much that developers can do like, uh, and that like ultimately leads to sure you can build products around Bitcoin decentralized, but then mainstream consumers and businesses like trying to get them to opt out and just go entirely live their lives of Bitcoin. Like that's just, that's not that big of an addressable market. Uh, and so, you know, for the space to really grow and for these fundamental technical innovations to be successful and reach, you know, hundreds of millions of mainstream consumers and businesses. You have to have banks that are participating and helping to to build that. Uh, on the other hand, I think that you know there's kind of the opposite reaction of you know some people inside traditional financial institutions to say like, oh, we don't need you know the crypto industry. Like you know it, this could just be you know, bank innovation. Uh, and so inside the bank, you know maybe we'll just we'll create our own bank blockchain and we'll do everything ourselves. And like we don't need. You know, developers, like we don't need open source. And I don't think that really works either because then it doesn't end up really being 
innovation, it's it's much more incremental in terms of the benefits you know, that it has. Uh, and so I think you have to have both. Both sides you know need each other, and it will be interesting to see um, you know particularly based upon markets in in geographies like where are there places that can find a balance that banks are willing to experiment and participate and provide on-ramps and off-ramps and you know, bank you know, crypt- crypto companies and back reserves on stablecoins and work closely with the ecosystem. Uh, and I think that there, there's a long way to go to find that right, that right balance of, of how the two interact uh, in the United States and, and in, in many markets outside. So before we wrap up, I wanted to ask one thing that I feel we don't maybe don't discuss enough in general, but because we're looking at a global scale and how we move forward, um, what do you guys think is the one thing that we need to do right so we don't look, you know, 20 years from now, we look in hindsight and say, we blew that up. So go with you first, Jess. What's that one thing? So I like this is always an internal conflict for me because I'm terribly impatient and I want to see things happen and I want, you know, great things to happen for the industry and for this technology and and for all the cool things that we're we're building. But I think crucially to get it right, we have to move at a sensible pace, right? We have to, as Kai was saying, we have to bring everybody along in this journey. We have to have a whole load of people at the table um, and we have to think these through these things through and they're like the implications of what we're doing through because we're you know we're right at the cutting edge of combining like decentralized technology privacy identity payments money value governance in ways that like we've never really been able to do before and these are like big things that if we get them wrong um will make people like feel allergic and actually have the potential for us to start like putting some of this in the cupboard and not wanting to come back to it because we're we we become scared of it so i think the crucial thing is like how do we pace innovation in a way that is small experiments, we test things, we make sure that they work, we experiment in controlled environments, whether that's uh, with respect to like a regulatory sandbox or with respect to like small beta launches of products. Um, And how do we do this in a way that is slow and steady, realizes the benefits, demonstrates real world use cases, brings people along in that journey? Because I think we have a lot, you know, we. The, the history of crypto in the mainstream media has already done some quite meaningful damage, I think, to like how we start to see real adoption of this technology in a wider ecosystem. And so I think what's crucial for all innovators to do is to like think about how we pace innovation and how we communicate about that. Okay. James, what will be the one thing that we can't miss this time? Yeah, so so sounds a little boring i guess but it, uh, it's a and it's a, a bit similar to what i'm just saying but i think we we have to understand why rules exist uh before we decide that we should just break and ignore them right um and uh i i, I love uh innovation for like breaking through rules but um i i think that understanding why they were put there in the first place is, is critical to doing that well Elliptic turns 10 in about 10 days, nine days. Um, and so when we founded the company back in 2013, there really was no regulation that uh, had been applied to crypto, right? 
And uh, and so we and and our early customers um, exchanges like uh, Coinbase and uh, and so on were we're trying to figure out how regulation would be applied to crypto in the future, right? Like there was nothing there. You were just trying to like guess at what was the right thing to do. And I think that's a, like a really uh, positive approach to take. Like, understand why anti-money laundering regulation exists. Understand why con consumer protection uh, regulation exists. Understand like, why prudential regulation exists. Um, if you look at all of the times where crypto has taken a massive uh, knock to its uh, sort of public confidence, it's been times when we've basically just like blown through that, right? Like, you know, huge amounts of, uh, of like criminal money laundering, you know, oh, well, crypto is just for, like, for, for criminals. I'm not going to touch that. Or like, you know, look at the really recent stuff, right? Like, you know, FTX uh, going down. Yeah, that was like, if there had been guidelines around like uh, how business, how uh, exchanges should be run, how markets should be run, like market manipulation, etc., like all of this could have been protected against if we if we had good rules in place. So I don't I don't think you have to wait for the rules to be there. I think you just have to understand like you have to be thoughtful about what good looks like and make sure you're you're putting sensible frameworks in place so that we don't go and continue to knock public confidence in what could be a hugely beneficial set of tools. Awesome. Guy, what's the one thing that we can miss? I guess I, I just say like building products that enable consumers to get the benefits of blockchain technology without having to know that crypto and blockchains exist. As I just said, that hasn't happened yet to date. Like, you know, no one can really point to anyone using a product powered by blockchain where that person isn't like intimately familiar with the fact that they're using a blockchain and what a blockchain is and like how it works. And it's like, as long as we're in that stage, like it's just, it's, it's going to be very hard. And, and I think like the infrastructure is finally at the point where I think it's possible. Um, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of experimentation and you know, a lot of different companies and developers, you know, coming in to build, but I'm, I'm confident we'll figure it out again. It's, it's not a question of if. It's like when, where, and how, uh, and with enough you know, shots, I, I think we'll figure it out. Awesome. That's unfortunately all the time we have today. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Where can people find more about you and your companies, uh, Jess? So we are at checkout.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn as well for sort of up-to-date news as well. Awesome. James, how about you? We are Elliptic. You can search for, if you search for Elliptic Connect, you'll find a bunch of really interesting research that we put out. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for James Smith Elliptic. Awesome. Kai? On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and visa.com slash crypto. And you can find me on Xerox Mauricio on Twitter, Mauricio Magaldi on LinkedIn, and obviously 11fs.com. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. We have lots of exciting shows coming up that we can't wait to share with you. And if you can't wait until the next episode, take a look at the many previous episodes and get yourself properly immersed in the world of crypto. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. This is all for today. Stay rare, stay weird. LFG.